Bitcoin made one of its biggest weekly moves in recent memory, actually in memory at all, if you're looking at consecutive days up while some charts show a couple little doji and red candles there. We've seen it reported that this was a 12-day up run basically since the year started, which is the most basically ever since like 2013. So important to realize just how bullish this move re uh, <clears throat> just how bullish this move is and that effectively all of the effects of FTX have been erased. But that doesn't mean that 2023 is going to be an easy year. There's still a lot happening in the macro that's of great concern. Some saying that the Fed will continue to over-tighten even as we see evidence that inflation is already cooling. Of course, I've got effectively my two co-hosts here, Mike McGlone and Dave Weisberger, to discuss all of this because it is Macro Monday. You guys don't want to miss this. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. Well, uh, after last week's conversation, Mike and Mike and Dave definitely coming up smelling like roses. Uh, not exactly the week necessarily we were expecting, I think, to that degree. But basically, Bitcoin made a move from, what, the mid-16,000s all the way up to 21,000 this week. Huge move, real volume. And seeing quite a few uh, reports or conjecture that there was a single entity behind it, basically somebody that was uh, averaging on the way up to the tune of $5 billion in just a matter of days. you got to wonder who that is and what they know. But I'm going to go ahead and bring on Mike and Dave, of course, because it is Monday. How are you gentlemen doing today? Thanks for showing up on a holiday. Hello. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Scott. It's always fun. Particularly good when, you know, you can talk about a continuation of what we talked about last week and uh, kind of like get into why and how. Well, when's the last time that we uh, actually got to have a conversation on bullish crypto markets? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it depends how you define bullish, right? You know, it's, you know, we kept talking about the fact that, that, that there, all the forced selling was gone and that we were bumping in this ridiculously low trading range. And the fact of the matter is when you're in a, a low trading range and you're moving from strong hand or from weak hands to strong hands, moves like this happen. There was one other thing that that's worth talking about. You said something about FTX effects being over. Uh, I disagree about that entirely, actually. But I do think this is a residual effect uh, of, of FTX. I think there's two things that we'll be living with for a while or three things we'll be living with for a while. One is probably momentum towards some sort of regulation, but we'll talk about that later. I, I think it's a less, less, that's not really the macro Monday theme. The other is there were anywhere from eight to $10 billion of crypto collateral and investments on FTX that uh, regardless of, of what, how much you think they're going to get out of it, that's eight to 10 billion of crypto investments that uh, the people who have it it became pretty obvious to them that they were no longer invested. And that, that's an important point. Because if you were long, if you had a billion dollars of Bitcoin for funds or Bitcoin Ether or whatever on FTX and your fund went gone and the funds closed and they returned money to their clients, those clients did have a reason for wanting to be allocated to Bitcoin and Ether in the first place. And so it, it, it's really an interesting question of, as people believe more and more recovery. So the story of, of uh, FTX, quote, finding money. Now, I don't know how much of that. <laughs> Five, $5 billion. Uh, right. The couch I, 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 I don't know where the market is currently trading. It was like 45. I think it had gotten up to like 45 cents of recovery. But if it's 45 cents of recovery, that's, you know, three to four billion dollars that's going to have to come back into the crypto market or is likely to, plus other people there. So it's important to understand supply-demand dynamics at the same time as there's no real selling volume and there's no, there was no real offer except for, uh, you know, basic speculators. And so there is a supply dynamic demand dynamic going on just from the recovery out of FTX as people move to different exchanges, to more DeFi, towards more self-custody, et cetera. But still 
it's different because you're not getting Bitcoin or Ether back from FTX. If it's in bankruptcy, you're getting, at best, you're getting dollars. Well, I want to make two points to clarify. I was speaking in terms of price and not long-term effect as far as FTX, that it's retraced the entire drop from FTX in the price of Bitcoin, certainly not talking about uh, the contagion, which, I mean, we're still watching Genesis play out, so it'd be absurd to uh, sort of make a comment about the contagion at this point. But yeah, so I was speaking very, very um, specifically I guess, about price there. And to a point you made, which I've been making consistently and beating the drum on, I, I think that the market's path of maximum pain for actual crypto natives is up because of the very point that you made that billions of dollars are locked now on these platforms and nobody is long anymore thinking that they are. To me, the worst case scenario for an FTX creditor is they get back, you know, 40, 50 cents, that would be good, on the dollar in a year and Bitcoin's trading at $50,000. Right. And then what do you do? You lost it at 17,000. You're getting back a portion of your money. And now do you want to buy back and get long? But Mike, I would love uh, your uh, your uh, your feelings, thoughts on what's happening right now with, with Bitcoin as well. Oh, it should start with the lessons that the biggest rallies come in bear markets. Um, <laughs> And Dave, and we're all laughing. We know that's the case. I mean, I want to be so bullish. I fully expect in the big picture, Bitcoin is going to go way up. But um, one thing we have to recognize, and we can show some charts in a second, is what's happened recently was a massive bear market rally for now. It could be a bottom like 2018 and 19. We hope so. But there's a big difference with back then is that is this is in the context of a still a lower tide liquidity is being there's a rug pull in liquidity still on a global basis. And that is not just the Fed tightening. Every central bank and the, and the planet is still tightening. And the key thing I'm watching for this week is we have the NASDAQ. It's just teetering on that 200-week moving average. It's broken below it. It's only done that three times in history. I'd like to show you that in a second. And every single time the Fed was easing and it came out of it okay. Fed's tightening. So I look at Bitcoin as, yes, it's a leading indicator. Maybe it's leading on the way back up. It maybe is putting a bottom like 2018 when it dropped below 5,000, then bent back up about 5,000 5, and built a nice little island bottom. Um, but like I said, the difference is liquidity is being pulled away still. And if the NASDAQ breaks down, everything breaks down, Bitcoin is going to be part of it. I still think it's going to come out ahead. So to me, that's where we stand in the big picture macro is I still think we're in the midst of the biggest macroeconomic reset of our lifetimes. I can detail why. And the way you can start that with is we just had a 100-year event in terms of pandemic. We're having a historic war in Europe, and we're having a historic shift in political leadership in China. I mean, it's going back to the days of Soviet Union, when you have one leader and expecting to be economically viable. And those are kind of the basis, I think, where we can really start. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Did you want to uh, give a shot at sharing those charts now, and we can yeah. start to dive into that? And, and to that. your point, as you're as you're uh, preparing that, uh, you know, and the biggest rally is coming, obviously, in bear markets. I mean, I can show my screen right now. You know, we have BlackRock, who, uh, you know, don't want to fade BlackRock necessarily, saying that the traders are wrong on rate cut bets and that uh, the Fed is going to continue to overreact and continue tightening here. Right. Which basically is saying we are far, far, far from out of the woods, which is the point that you're making as well. Let me go ahead and uh, bring up your chart. You're good. Yeah, exactly. Mike, your chart is up. Far from out of the woods. And look at it this way. If the stock market. Good. Is Bitcoin bottoming like 2018, 19? Yeah, we, I can see it there, but uh, you broke that, up right? there for a so, second. Yep. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Sorry. Um, so, yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> the exactly we're we're still pulling liquidity from the market on a global basis, a historical, unprecedented basis, on for good reasons. And if equities go higher, if risk assets go higher, these liquidity is more likely to remain um, constrained from central banks. So what I'm showing you is a chart. Uh, you know, we see this potential island bond. Bottom developing around 20,000, the same way it did around 5,000 back in 2018. The big difference is what I show you in white is the Fed that funds futures. Back then, the Fed already started easy, and we held the bottom and broke out higher, and then we had that issue 2019. 
the cool thing is we've had basically an 80 correct. But the thing I want to really show is to me, this is the Mac watching this leak week. And this is the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is at its 200 week moving average, not 200 day, 200 days is for day traders. The 200 week <laughs> moving average in the history of the NASDAQ, since it could be calculated, we only broke through that level three times. Um, and every single time the Fed was easing, the last good example was 2008. Fed was easing aggressively. Right now they're tightening aggressively. So you look at that, you can't be too excited about any markets until we have, give it some time. I'd say don't really, big picture, yes, really bullish Bitcoin. But to me, this is an environment that's unprecedented where we're having bounces in what we know are bear markets. And the Fed just says, sorry, we're taking the punch bowl away. We're not going it back to you. Dave, what do you think? I mean, do you think that we are just here on a bull trap or do you think that we could be actually starting to see a real move here? I think we are in, <laughs> I think we are in a trading range. And I think that, that you have, I mean, I've said it many times, Bitcoin trades like an option, right? And, and so Bitcoin clearly is a, it has the percentage of people holding Bitcoin today that are trading it at treating it as a speculative asset at, compared to the percentage of people who were holding Bitcoin in May. Uh, I wish we had that number. Uh, being a data guy, that would be a great thing to measure. I am sure that number is dramatically lower. I'm sure the number of specul of pure speculators in Bitcoin is, are, is, is dramatically lower. The, if you look at the liquidations or open interest, the, the numbers sort of confirm that. Uh, it, it is, it's kind of an important point. You look at the percentage of long-term holders. Essentially, we were talking about it all summer when, you know, it dropped from the 40s like a stone, plummeted through the 30s, plummeted into the 20s, and settled into a trading range from the entire summer from more or less, obviously, there were some wiggles, but really between uh, 18 and 22. And yeah, we got some excitement, bear market rallies up to, you know, I think really briefly, from 22, it went up to 24, 25, and then back down into the trading range. And you and I kept talking about it. If you go back at an archive of this show, you'll see we've been talking about it. We've been going basically since that, since July. We had the wiggle down below the trading range when FTX collapsed because people who had really done all the forced selling they could now all of a sudden were, you know, taking the boat and, uh, and you know, knocking the seats out of the boat. <laughs> and selling that, you know, because they had to. But the truth of the matter is they were as hard to believe as it is. The volume and the amount of liquidations during that selling was much, much lower. Why? Because there were no more long speculators. It was just people selling what they had to, Bitcoin being the most liquid, Ether and Bitcoin being the most liquid. Uh, and so you see that we're now back into that trading range again. So you're basically what you're talking about a trading range from a fundamental point of view. You're talking about People, the long-term holders of Bitcoin who believe in the story, people like Mike and I, uh, are going nowhere. We, we have a long-term view. The speculators get excited whenever anything happens. So this week we saw a return of speculation, and yeah, they could get their, you know, they could get smacked again. There's no doubt about it. But the percentage of speculation, this percentage of FOMO moves, is small. Now, of course, everyone wants to invent a boogeyman, so. You know, I know people say, oh, it's BlackRock buying, it's this buying, it's that buying. It's like, listen, you know, a few billion dollars here or there in, the, in Bitcoin is a very big deal. In the global financial markets, Perfect. it's Tuesday. And, <laughs> you, know, it, you know, it's just not that big of a deal. And yeah. so it doesn't take much. You know, M Mike used the words before, and I think it's right, that if you're an asset allocator and you don't have 2 to 5%, of your allocation in Bitcoin in what you used to call a 60-40 portfolio in this market, that's kind of, it could be very troubling. A lot of them, and we know it because we see it at CoinRoutes, a lot of them after FTX basically said, whoa, and just stopped doing what they were doing and said, look, we got to see, is the entire world going to unravel? What's happening here? Uh, is there a way to keep my coin safe? Uh, I think people have gotten to the point now where it's like, well, okay, wait a minute. This was a theft. This was something that was on a bond, excuse me, bond villain or deranged bond villain, Dr. Evil style theft. So there's a little bit more confidence. And so you have to ask yourself about the supply demand. So my opinion is very much like Mike's that there's that the wiggles 
are definitely bear market types rallies. I mean, they are sharper to the upside. But I think we're in that trading range. I still think that the 18 level holds in, in you know at the end. Uh, I think that that number over time ratchets higher. I don't know where the bottom is. The next time, if, if, if Genesis falls, if some other shoe drops. But the reality is, I think we are forming a bottom. And forming bottoms, and I've said this before, Mike, get ready to nod. Bottoms take <laughs> time. They take time, right? You know, it's when ex- selling gets exhausted. Just remember how people made fun of Tom Lee for turning bullish on the S&P and Bitcoin, yeah. uh, you, know, Bitcoin. A, you know, a couple of times over the last decade. And I remember because he stood out like a sore thumb in 2009 on the S&P, and he stood out like a sore thumb in 2018 uh, on Bitcoin. It, it's the same. It, it's this, In my mind, it's very, very similar. That doesn't mean you run out and start speculating in FOMO by the upside, but it does mean that uh, I would be very, very careful on the short side here still, and I would uh, I would be careful on the long side too. But the reality is is there's a, there's a lot more long term capital that could move the market because there just is no real selling. There's no there's nothing you know there's no there's nothing no people who are saying waiting saying oh if I get back to twenty two I'm out that's a big level for me it'll get make me whole. You, we don't really don't have a whole lot of that. It was very long winded. I'm sorry. That's a good one. There's two things on that there. And first of all, is I appreciate what you said about Tom Lee, because anybody who's run money, as long as you have, and for me, part of my career, but as a strategist, it's a classic lesson I learned um, that you got to be a contrarian, because when everybody agrees, you're virtually always wrong. So I'll give this lesson. I remember being in the trading pits. And I'd have, you know, I'd spend my whole week and I'd come up with a great idea. It's Monday morning. I call seven clients. And Mike, you're an idiot. You know, I, 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 his is a strategy position you want to do. It. Every single time they would say, if there was, everyone said it was a wrong, it always worked. If they all agreed, I got the trade, but it virtually never worked. So that's part of the thing about what we do is you know you tweak something when people get mad at you for your call. And that's what really happens sometimes. So the other thing I want to point out, I think expanding what Dave said is, what's happening now is we're going to look back at this like we did with mount gox and like the cleansing of 2006 and 8 in the stock market which makes foundations foundations and enduring bull markets almost always come from cleansing and this is classic cleansing so look at this example if we didn't have that tide go out ftx the ftx paradigm scheme which started almeida would have just lasted it's gone we flushed Better it out now. Yeah, exactly. But you got to yeah. get that out of the way. And it's opportunities for those of us who remain solvent. Dave knows that. And I've been stopped out in a lot of wrong positions in my life. And sometimes, you know, like, I know I got to buy, but darn, I, the management's tapping me on the back of my shoulder because, Mike, you're <laughs> overweight. You're too early. But this is what it is now. The thing is, I we could get down to 12000 in Bitcoin, but I fully expect in Five years, we're going to be talking about, man, we got problems of 100 grand. And all those people, Dave, will talk about all those people who are underweight, they're going to have to follow a bull market. And the best time to buy and to allegate typically is bear markets, where you know you're not leveraged too much or you have strategies that are not going to stop you out. You can just accumulate and forget about it. Look what's happening with GD, GBTC. I'll end with this. That's some of the signals I got last month. Now, I admit I've been early in GBTC. It was a big driver of the bull market, 18, 19, 20. But what's happened to it recently is it hit some major cleansing stops. That 50% discount, which is now about 36%, to me, is going to go down in history as one of the best buying opportunities ever. I could go back to 50%. But what's happening, I think, in there and in BITO, which is the other ETF, which is actually outperforming Bitcoin because it's rolling into backwardation, is this is an example of things you you talk about years from now when you say that was a bear market bottom? But come on, like you, it does. It's not easy. And if it's easy, something's wrong. I've learned that lesson. I, Dave kept his hair. I didn't realize yeah. that GBTC was back to thirty six percent when you just said it. I, I looked it up. I thought we were still right around fifty. So I, I don't know where it's, I've been, but that's a heck of a trade. <laughs> it's one of the best performing assets this year, up thirty six percent. 36.6%. Um, and yeah, well, how, how does that happen? It gets hammered. But is it, is a fundamental, is it a fundamentally bullish market that I think is going to 100? Yes. 
If I'm wrong, you know who to blame. But I can show you it, it's had some major issues. It has some, but it, it, you know, I don't know all the interworkings of actually how it works, but um, it's just the number one most widely traded ETF and Bitcoin. Not widely traded, Bitcoin is not more widely traded, but held. And it's so in the tape every day that, um, sure, this is a dead cat bounce, but just taking away that premium, which is going to happen over time, is part of the indications of 50% discount. You're going to say five years from now. Yeah, that was pretty pretty low, just like when Amazon was trading at five and went up to 2,000. But I have 0% expectation that they win with the SEC and get that converted to an ETF. Oh, I, I, think, I, 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 I think that that it, that story is going to play out in the court because the SEC's argument is literally the dumbest argument I have ever seen the SEC make. And I've seen some doozies uh, trying to claim it, it, you, you if it, the only way they're going to be able to find a, a quote expert to say, excuse, excuse me, I look at the camera expert to say that, that, <laughs> that a spot ETF is harder to manipulate or easier to manipulate than the CME futures ETF is they're going to find some academic who couldn't get a peer reviewed paper through practitioners uh, ever. I mean, we have some of them running the SEC now, you know, people who are saying things that literally everyone knows, but the reality is, is the judge in that case is going to have a preponderance of experts to say that the moves in the CME futures is the tail wagging the dog that if anything, it's easier to manipulate the CME than it is to manipulate the, the totality of the coin spot. And, you know, the fact is that argument is bad. It's just a it's a loser. I mean, I, I debated and and did pretty well in competitive debate. You know, I, we've talked about this before. That is an argument I would not want to make. If I were a lawyer, that is a case I wouldn't want to take. And so we'll see. That argument at the core of the SEC is a losing argument. Now, they may win if DCG goes bankrupt, I suppose. At that, my, but, my point was going to be that I don't think they'll be the ones to win, and I don't think it will happen under this regime. Gary Gensler is not giving us a Bitcoin spot ETF, and with all the problems going on at DCG, I can't imagine that Grayscale is going to be the one to win that. But Maybe, maybe but, but trusts are not breakable, which is why the, the discount is down. And people are realizing one way or another – it's a question of the time value of money is the discount. The discount should be where the time value of money is and make your bets when it either gets converted by a reg M or converted by an ETF. That's really where that that's going. And that's a big deal. You know, two months ago, people were arguing about whether or not it could, they could be forced to sell the Bitcoin out from under the trust. And I'm, and I think at this point we know that that, that can't be done. So that's right. a different, that's a different argument. I, I, it's just of all, as you know, if there's one way to get me to go on a rant, it's to talk about uh, the Gensler SEC, uh, who, if you really had uh, on multiple levels, if you if you sat down and said, how can I ruin financial markets, ignore the protection of investors, ignore capital formation, but try to use the SEC for other goals than those two things, what would you do? You'd pretty much you, you now have a template for what you would do, because that is what they're doing. And it's it, it, it's crazy. And in crypto, we're kind of, it's kind of tail wagging the dog uh, the 1400 pages of, of, of rulemaking that I have still yet to get through all of it is is testimony to that. Although there are some good nuggets in there. There's no doubt. I mean, Reg Best X makes a lot of sense, a lot of things. But the fact is, is I don't think we're getting any tailwinds from the regulatory side uh, for some time. Yeah, it would take a completely other regime. Mike, I see you have another chart pulled up here. So uh, what did you want to show us? Dave inspired something earlier about interest. And what I'm showing you is one of the key things that kept me bearish commodities and crude oil when it was people were calling for 150, a uh, little bit less than a year ago. And kept, it was kept me very bullish crude oil. And this is just simple adult um, listed open interest in futures. So it's not the stuff you see on the, some of the unregulated exchanges. This is in white, that's just the open interest of Bitcoin futures ETFs. I mean, that is started by the CFTC. The SEC is gonna have to come around, but when you see increasing open interest, and this is not dollars, this is actual futures trading contracts where people who are actually buying GBTC and hedging in Bitcoin and pushing that to a uh, backwardation are, and this is what I see as a nascent bull market and a nascent asset, just it's like 
futures were in the 70s and ETFs were in the 90s. And then I like to overlay that with the world's most significant commodity. Open interest in crude oil has been declining for like ever. It's part of what kept me bearish. So to me, this is a key thing to point out. Institutions are just getting into this space. They're going to see cleansing of the market. They're going to see eventually an ETF that tracks an index in cryptos. And that's what institutions want. I mean, they don't want to just have Yeah, okay, that's part of my gold portfolio. That might fit in with my bonds. But I want exposure to the beta of this space for the alpha. Give me an ETF that tracks for Galaxy Crypto Index. And now that I'm pushing a product. I get nothing for that. But that's the reason that I pushed the management that we launched that index five years ago. And I think that's what our ETF team said when we saw that FTX collapse. And ETF solves this. To me, that's part of the iterations that is a matter of time. And it's taking too long for the SEC. But if they look around and they're truly trying to help investors and protect investors, let them have an index. Don't have to pick winners like Ethereum or Bitcoin. So that to me is what's going to happen. The SEC is not trying to protect consumers. I I know that that's their stated mandate, but I think it's pretty clear that uh, by uh, enforcing their laws by litigating after the fact and charging people with things after nobody's protected. I mean, going after Genesis... And Gemini now, after everybody already lost their money, and Genesis, everybody no, knew no, no, that no, is- they didn't lose. They didn't lose all their money. They now are unsecured because there are there is there are two points we made here because the SEC and the, the the CFTC have not been able to agree, and Congress doesn't agreed. Gemini as a bank still had no vehicle for making customers senior creditors as they would if they were securities because of carve-outs in the law. So there's no regulation to allow to protect creditors. So now they're unsecured creditors. And way worse than that, honestly, it's it's he should if if you could impeach an appointee, he should be impeached for this. Knowingly making the SEC a senior creditor to investors who will almost certainly get some amount on the dollar that's non-100 is literally stealing from investors is what he's doing. And even worse than that, he knows how much Genesis and Gemini are going to have to spend in legal bills. Anyone who's ever dealt with an SEC investigation knows it's costly. So he is literally stealing money from the investors in that program in the name of protecting future investors, where he could protect future investors by getting together with the CFTC and agreeing or getting together even with themselves, doing what Hester Peirce said five years ago now or four years ago now, and actually working with the industry to craft rules around lending programs. If you could find anybody who's serious in the Bitcoin and, and, and crypto space that doesn't believe that we should have disclosure rules of risk and covenants that associated with these lending programs so that people who invest in it know how their money is being used, how yield is being generated. If you could find anybody who thinks that a regulatory regime on that is a bad idea, I, I want to meet them. I mean, I know it's accused. <laughs> we, we hear accusations all the time that, oh, you crypto people don't want regulation. It's really? I mean, I run the largest or second largest algo trading firm in crypto, and I talk to pretty much everybody, and I have yet to hear somebody who doesn't think that reasonable principles-based regulation wouldn't be a good thing. I, I don't know anyone. I mean, I'm sure they exist. I mean, I haven't looked under every rock, but the reality is, is people want that. So, no, this case may be the single biggest example of malfeasance I've ever seen. I mean, it's just it's literal theft from investors. I, I don't know how else you to say, say it. And you say it's to protect future investors, of which there will be none because these products won't exist. So that, well, it's, it's literally I mean, almost look, irrelevant. And, and just to be clear, this isn't just some crypto dude rambling, right, and ranting. <laughs> Uh, Representative Tom Emmers said exactly the same yeah. thing on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's the majority whip now in the House. Uh, McHenry has more or less nodded his head at these things. And and they are salivating like Homer Simpson with pork chops to get <laughs> Gensler in front of them and start asking him these questions. I think he's going to be extremely uncomfortable because this is I mean, I'm actually appalled. I, I don't think I've seen anything that's this dumb. But But anyway, you got me off on a rant again. The, the, the important thing here is something that, that, that go back to Mike, and I'd like to hear Mike's opinion on this, is the, the rate of change of rates and the sucking out of liquidity is historic. The actual rate itself 
is anything but. Yeah. Uh, and and, and lower so, high. like I look at it as as if you looked at Bitcoin, uh, the, the historic context of it when it was created, it, even assuming it has no yield and, and obviously it's yielded because there's some speculation and stuff, it'll be more than gold was. The fact is, if Bitcoin is going to be digital gold, 4% absolute yields or a negative real yield to inflation isn't going to deter long-term investors in gold. Gold is kind of sitting where it was. You know, I, I, you know, I, we, we could talk about the monetization aspect, but my point is the rate of change, I think, is what matters here much more than the absolute rate. And so isn't the question from a macro point of view, uh, are they, are they going to decelerate their pace of liquidation? I don't think any insane believes they're going to dump liquidity back into the market, and certainly not in the next year. But isn't it that pay, that rate of change that matters, Mike? Everything. And so, man, it's amazing, Dave, how much we agree. Like, you sound like one of the clients I would spend my life with on the phones dealing with who taught me how to trade. <laughs> and then, you know, I learned and I trade for a little while, but it's just exactly. ROC is everything in markets, rate of change. And that's to me, is what's happening. So here's, let's give the macro outlook. So we have the greatest pace of, taking out liquidity I've ever seen in my life. Yes, it was from a very low level, but that classic lessons of booms, always followed by busts, always led by liquidity that goes away is happening now. And there's no signs of it ending until or unless markets stop that. And that means we have to have either the liquidity to come back by the Fed to start easing. I mentioned the Fed, largest central bank in the world. Now we have all those other ones are still easing, are still tightening. They have to start easing and or risk assets have to go lower. That's going to happen. It has to happen, partly because the lagging nature of inflation. Here's what I fully expect in this next year. We're going to have increasing downward revisions of inflation measures because that's what's happened in recessions. Inflation collapses. And particularly what pumped up inflation? Everybody knows every single asset in this country went up 40%. If they didn't, it was a bear market. Why? Because money increased. Now that money is going away. So to me, that's what we're going to look for. And then this week, the signals I'm looking for, how that's going to out is can the NASDAQ stay above this 200-week average? Can the S&P 500 stay above 4,000? Is Bitcoin going to stay above 121,000? I think it's unlikely because if it does, it means that sledgehammer is going to come down. And a lesson that Dave knows is if it looks like it's a bull market and breaking out, just be careful. It's way too early. It's got to be hard. That's why I'm not a fan of trading. That's Scott. I respect people who can do it. I've learned my lesson. I'm not good at it. But um, so to me, that's the thing we're going to look forward to this week. Can we keep that? I suspect by the end of the week, we're going to be pushing markets a little bit lower. And the same thing from the Fed is we're tightening. What are you not getting about that? Well, let's talk about uh, something else that's happening this week, which is that uh, the U.S. could hit its debt ceiling by Thursday. Uh, and, well, of course, you get to here's what you need to do, you need to know and all of the uh, hyperbolic opinions about what that could mean. But this time, it does seem like the Republicans are willing to push back. The Treasury has very limited measures. And the last time that we actually saw our debt ceiling hit was the only time, I believe, 2011, that... Uh, the United States saw its credit rating reduced, and there was a hell of a lot of pain surrounding that. I mean, this is this is not a uh, small story. It's it's sad. It hits the tape because it's really insignificant in terms of GDP. The U.S. is still one of the most solvent countries in the world in terms of debt. We have the deepest debt markets in the world. Just how we this hits the tape like that because they have to have a physical change of it. But it's one of the things I think people forget about how significant you see this debate is on a global basis. Do you want to invest your country, your money in a country that does not have open and throw it out there debate like China and Russia where one person is making a decision or do you want to have it in a country like I thought what happened with um, expect in, in, um, with choosing our house leader was unfortunate but it showed to the world if there's any problems in this country as churchill said we will do debate it to hell and then come up to the right answer that's the things you're not seeing in other countries is that open discourse so yes this is sad that that they might shut down for a week we'll get over that but that's also part of the reason why you have to have assets like gold bitcoin and anything that helps protect you. But again, also from a dollar standpoint, what better currency is there in a long-term basis? I love how Bitcoiners criticize them. Like, give me a better one. Where are you going to put your money? Um, your China, your Russia, your Canada, your Europe. There's no deeper bond market, no safer place. And it's imperfect, but it's just part of what Bitcoin helps and cryptos help solve. 
dollars. What's the key thing about dollars? You can get now access to dollars through Ethereum-based tokens. You could never do that in history. And that's where people like Dave and I look at this technology is not. It's completely revolutionary. And this is a big dip in the price. I do want to point out one unlikely but ridiculously interesting scenario. <laughs> uh, your colleague over at Bloomberg, who you know I played poker with and I like a lot, uh, Joe Wiesenthal, he's yeah. been calling for the mint the coin the platinum oh, yeah. coin yeah. idea for, for a while now. And it's actually fascinating. If Treasury does do that and shows what, and he and I have talked about this, I, I think that if Treasury does that, then they're essentially telling markets that, you know what, this Federal Reserve, these guys are important, but they're not as important as you think. We can, we actually can mint money. Now, it is not a likely scenario, but if, the government decides if the if the administration decides Yellen decides and abandon her central banker roots, which I don't think likely uh, if they decided to do that, that is a situation which could spur what I would call the most important delinking, i.e. if they minted the coin. I do not think that's bullish for Nasdaq companies and risk assets, but I think it's bullish as hell for Bitcoin and gold. And I, I think that that is something that, that has to be watched, because if we get to a debt ceiling and the Treasury decides to take extraordinary measures uh, to prevent default, to keep things going, uh, that's the kind of thing that would be a tail event, an upside tail event. And I do believe it's a tail event. I do not believe it's going to happen. I want to be clear about that. But there are a few people out there who are looking at that saying, hmm, this would be really interesting. So I do think that is that is worth talking about. I think Mike's scenario is that over 90 percent likely to play out some version of annoying either 11th hour or after the 11th hour compromise where we kind of get something moving. And yeah, yeah, we in traditional in traditional um, you know, parlance, it's it'll be one of those deals that everybody's unhappy with. Right. Because that's what true compromise comes from. But I think that's the most likely scenario. Uh, but it is worth understanding what the tail events are. So people who, who look at risk assets and say, well, the bad tail is we default and our credit rating goes down and all assets in the U.S. are repriced downward. Yeah, that's an unlikely tail event. There's just as much of a tail event on the other side as Treasury says, screw it. We can mint money and get ourselves through this, and we'll we'll and we'll stop this from being a problem. That's a positive tail event for these assets, anyway. Uh, I do think it's not neither are likely, but it is worth understanding that it is symmetrical. Dave, there might be people here who don't aren't familiar with the concept of minting the platinum coin. Can you just give the the two second uh, TLDR because it's quite a yeah quite a the, 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 the TLDR Treasury has the ability to mint money. They mint a coin with a trillion dollar notional, and then they deposit it, uh, in, you know, they deposit it in, in, well, I don't think they put it to the Federal Reserve, but they, they, they make that coin available for the government to, you know, borrow against or spend. It's good. And, and then basically kneecaps the Fed. It, it, I mean, <laughs> Joe would, it, it would be, if you could get Joe to come on your program, I would really, because he has talked about this more than any human being that I know of. And he is not, he, I'm not even going to say he's not dumb. He's a very intelligent man. Well, he'd be surprised to hear me say that, but he happens to be a very intelligent guy. And I'd love to hear his explanation of the inner workings. I just know that a lot of people will look at this as a, a positive tail event for, uh, I won't call them, infl I don't think Bitcoin is an inflation hedge. I do think it is a proto-fiat uh, currency hedge. Proto, because I don't think that I think it's trading like an option now. Gold has been historically a hedge against debasement of currencies. That that's that's the difference. So, and and yeah, so I can get Joe on. I'll, I'll give him a call, and we can make that connection. I met um, I met him at uh, Mainnet yeah. as well. I would love to have him on a Monday with yeah. you guys and just let you guys go. But <laughs> Dave, well, Dave mentioned the thing. One thing I love about Joe is he makes me smarter, and he's got that high pitched voice. I love it about him. And when I listen to his Odd Lots podcast, I'm like, dude, you just made me smarter. Thank you. What can I do next? How can you, it's just part of this. What we have now, we didn't have this kind of stuff 10 years ago. The world's just getting better and cryptos are part of it. And, uh, but yeah, I'm happy to make that happen. Yeah. I, I think it would be great. To, Mike, do you see a scenario where the treasury actually does that? No, God, no, I hope not. But it's, it's fun to talk about because <laughs> to me, it's, 
I could just not see rational people ever doing that. If we got that bad, I mean, I'm, I'm trading Bitcoin at a million dollars and gold's uh, who knows what handle um, because um, I just, it's, it's great conversation. It's a great way to learn how the iterations and as um, Dave started out, it's a very low probability, but we're discussing it for a reason. And it's part of the reason we have things like Bitcoin. Now, the key thing is, um, I like to point out is we do have, there's no better monetary situation on the planet than the way U.S. is. Now, people might point to the Swiss, the Swiss, but it's nothing. It's, we can run over the Swiss with a few tanks. I mean, if we really want to admit, this is how the U.S. is. And this separation of, of, of the Fed from the government, Jerome Powell crushed that when he pushed back on um, Trump. That's part of the reason we had that massive dollar rally. I mean, the U.S. is just shining in this environment of, in ta and tanks invading uh, Russia and autocratic leadership in China. I think people are underestimating. This is the beginning of the U.S. crushing it. And the U.S. is very favorable to Bitcoin. Why? Because we're one of the few countries that can. <laughs> we don't have to worry. It's that whole layer of cryptos adopted the dollar. And to me, this is where the macro comes into place. I'd like to focus in the micro. But so I'm, I'm kind of ranting a little bit. But to me, the macro is so favorable for the U.S. And people like, like a lot of other podcasters point out how Oh, you know, every every great major um, country has its peak control. We've only been around 300 years. I mean, Rome was like a thousand. China peaked in the 1800s. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think since we, we are on Macro Monday, I do think there are a couple of other macro points that, that really go. Do, you know, are worth talking about. On the economy and the one I looked at, and, I, and you'll see I look at it every week. I mean, the Baltic Dry Index, which, which yeah. tracks shipping, continues yeah. to move lower. Uh, I mean, over the in a year chart, it looks like it's about to bounce off a bottom. But if you go back further, uh, no, <laughs> it, it you know it, it has it has a, lo a fair amount to go. Uh, you could probably pull that up with better charts than I can from you know from the internet. But the fact is, is real economic demand is certainly uh decreasing at the same time completely separate the hash rate for bitcoin and the network is still stubbornly sitting at an all-time high or in the 260 level uh and it looks a lot stronger once again not something miners necessarily want to hear but that's important uh one of the things that the other thing that's happened this winter this winter has been really odd in the sense of people are saying, oh, my God, there's no snow in Davos, Switzerland. But we've had incredible warm streaks and incredible cold streaks, that volatility. And you notice you haven't heard a lot of environmental FUD about Bitcoin recently. Why? Because they would look like the village idiots to say so. Because every single grid manager in every region where there's major Bitcoin miners are saying, oh, thank God for Bitcoin. They were able, they're, they're able to take on the demand when the when it's it's either over naturally too warm because in terms of heating anyway uh, when it gets naturally too warm and they're able to turn off when it gets too cold and so the grid stabilization of bitcoin this winter is a case study for that i'm sure come the summer we'll start hearing more about you know the the thernbergians will start talking about you know bitcoin's impact on climate but the truth of the matter is Bitcoin as a grid stabilization mechanism this winter is being proven on a large scale in in multiple regions in the United States. And that matters because if you're really going to push for renewables, which need which require more grid stabilization, you're going to hear more of it. The reason I mention it is because that literally is the single biggest piece of of, quote, FUD, where people are saying, well, yeah, they're going to outlaw it for this reason. And it even you know, typically when Bitcoin is getting killed, that's when it gets the loudest. And they tried again this year, but they couldn't because of these stories. So that, that's a big deal on the macro side as far as Bitcoin is concerned. And I think that matters a lot. Uh, you know, and lastly, if you look at liquidations and what's going on on the non-CME markets, liquidations, even, uh, you know, there was a, a, a day earlier uh, you know, the day that Bitcoin had the biggest rally over the last two weeks, the amount of short liquidations that actually occurred. I mean, they were large. It was, you know, 457 million uh, shorts got liquidated on January 13th. That's half what previous moves we've seen. And that and by the way, that peak was triple any other day during this rally. 
it, what I'm trying to say is that the amount, the actual absolute value of liquidations during this the volatility was much lower than in previous moves where we've seen either either the rally last year, which took Bitcoin or, the, or you know a little over a year ago, which took Bitcoin you know up into the 60s and no, the, the liquidation pace was dramatically larger. And it's just worth understanding that because there's just less people speculating outside of the CME. The CME has two reasons why you would expect an up and to the right open interest. First, it's the only ETF has to have long open interest. And second, it is the only place that a lot of U.S. players can, on a leveraged basis, uh, short Bitcoin. And so it, it, it is interesting, but that regulatory shield is why that's up and to the right. All the other markets writ combined, it's lower. And that's kind of a big deal. And it's just something to watch. Yeah, Mike, I, I had the Baltic Dry Index pulled up here, but I think you have it as well. So I'm going to go ahead and chat. Same thing. Well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm enjoying the conversations because it's um, refreshing my chart skills in the terminal. So I, I love the Baltic Dry Index. Um, and watch a lot. Dennis Gartman, the famous um, commodity uh, guy, used to mention it a lot. And it's I overlay that this is just the monthly Baltic Dry Index. It's collapsing and it's pretty much getting hammered. But it's what you'd expect. But the key thing I'd like to show you here is a Bloomberg crypto. I'm sorry, the Bloomberg commodity. Well, it's divided by its 60-month moving average. So you can see um, the rate of change, which is everything. It's just making an early high. This is that deflationary environment. I think this is the macro that, to me, this is the big picture. People said transitory. Transitory is going to turn out to be enduring. Sir, we had that one-year blip, maybe 18 months of inflation, but it's collapsing at a historical pace, and it's got everything pointing, pointing that way. That's why I think this is a historic reset. Baltic dry index is part of it. Just look at the normal take back in the Bloomberg clinics. When it gets expensive, it always gets cheap. It's still way expensive. So I see commodities likely to continue dropping. Everything's going down. The Fed's still tightening. Bitcoin is going to come out, I think, trading more like gold. And Ethereum is, you know, just part of that revolution. So to me, this is the macro that I'm glad Dave mentioned it because it's, it, what I found about the dry index, it became less of a leading indicator that kind of was kind of distorted by COVID, but it's macro is quite clear. That's the environment I think we're going to spike the time. This time next year, we're going to be talking about why isn't the Fed easing more? Because everybody's losing their jobs. Unemployment's going up. And by the way, their, st their stated goal. And um, then we had, look at what happened with real estate. The pump in real estate was bigger than 2006 peak in terms of actual prices. Yes, there was different reasons, but the dump is actually happening worse part because rates are going up. Remember, the Fed started easing in Fed in SEP 2007. So that to me is the difference in, in, in the macro. And that's why I see, okay, right now this bounce in Bitcoin, be very skeptical, be very careful. Maybe we'll get lucky. It'll build that island bottom. But you don't ever want to trade, um, trade from a lucky standpoint. You want to invest yeah. with, with probabilities on your side. I don't think that we've entered a new bull market. I'm just hoping, as you said, that this means maybe the absolute bottom is in and we can just be super boring and sideways for a while, which I think everyone would take uh, over a drop below that sort of mid-15s low that we saw after FTX. And also, I think you could just make the argument now that we've reset to where we would have been if FTX had not happened as far as price, and now we're just back to ranging. Well, I mean, if you if you want to go that level, like what would have happened if billions of dollars hadn't gotten siphoned out of Bitcoin and Ethereum investing into yield farming and Luna and all of that stuff. Uh, one could make a very strong argument that that 100,000 would have been, you know, would have been a low number for Bitcoin if this whole thing hadn't happened. Uh, because, you know, how much of the real demand for I'm not talking about demand for Shiba Inu or <laughs> or, or, or other coins. I'm talking about how much of the demand for Bitcoin and Ether was driven uh, by yield farming. I mean, you can make an argument Ether. That was a big part of its of, of its appeal back then. But, you know, post-merge, is that really the big use case? Certainly in Bitcoin's case, and this is where I start sounding more and more Bitcoin maximalist. I mean, you can make an argument that the shenanigans of this year are essentially why Bitcoin is trading at 20000 and not at 80000 because uh, start, all that money that went into Luna and everything else 
uh, is money that probably would have ended up in Bitcoin uh, and without any any of the forced selling and all the other things that were going on with it. Now, there's obviously cross currents, but that's but it is worth understanding that. Uh, the other thing that I'll point out is, is something about the Fed. I always like to look at motivations. If you asked somebody objectively, if you were Jerome Powell, what do you want to happen? Well, I think what he wants to happen is for the reset to it to literally forget the handing out of helicopter money as a result of the pandemic. So because erase had, it completely. Basically erase we, 2020's actions completely. We, we had we had decades, not not years, not days, decades of the Federal Reserve and helping engineer asset inflation and consumer uh, deflation, or at least consumer, no consumer inflation because of, of substitutes, et cetera. Commodities are, are, as Mike points out all the time, the canary in the coal mine for the consumer because it's ultimately the inputs to what the consumer has to buy or sell. And as we get better with technology, we mine, we mine grow, whatever, transport uh, commodities cheaper. And so commodity prices are classically elastic, right? If the oh, yeah. Fed could erase it and go back to asset inflation as opposed to consumer inflation, which will keep long rates low and allow government to borrow to cover their debt and keep people more or less happy, uh, that's what they would do. Now, I'm not saying they can do it. I'm just saying that's what they want to do. And I never like to lose sight of what people want to do because it's an indication of what will bother them. I think that when they came out, I can't remember when it was, but I think it was over the summer, and they said, we don't care what happens to asset prices. I think that was half true. I think yeah. they're basically saying, we don't give a crap what happens to asset prices yeah, because we need to put the inflation genie back in the bottle. That's not to say that they wouldn't prefer what I said. That's to say what they're willing to accept. So I don't think the S&P rallying is, makes them want to raise rates. I think that consumer inflation and inputs and all of the things that we've been talking about rallying are, okay, that's where they need to raise rates. I just think yeah, it's, I, it's collateral damage more than anything else. I got to follow up on that because I think it's spot on. It's also, but it's don't underestimate, and I'm only saying this to our audience, the wealth effect of asset prices going up and the absolute, absolute opposite of them going down. I still will say this. This is a 1929 type scenario. In 1930, the stock market rallied 50% and then went down. It's just taking away liquidity. But I have to defend the Fed. Remember, they did something in reaction to something that never happened in anybody's lifetimes. And the example was from the uh, pandemic or for, from the plague from, you know, right around World War One, And Obviously, they did it too much. Remember, we, it's only been two years since we've had vaccines. Look who really messed it up. China did not. Their system did not allow them to get over this like we have. Yes, people have passed away, but, you know, it's sad. But we're over the over that. And that's part of it. Why did the Fed pump so much? But it's a classic example of human nature where there's no way out of this that I see it now, except taking it back. The Fed's doing it. And assets, risk assets have to go down. That's why I still think the best performing assets will be gold, U.S. Treasury long bonds, and eventually Bitcoin in the macro. Now, the micro things attract those like GBTC. <laughs> Dave can figure that better than me. But that's we, to me, this is why this history is being made is it's almost inevitable. We have to get through this reset. And if we are lucky enough to do it, and here's one thing I do enjoy when people coin from bottoms in the stock market. What did you not understand about the history of stock markets typically bottom after the yield curves is well into a steepening mold, well above inversion, and the Fed starts easing well after they start easing? We're nowhere near that. The curve is still inverted and still going inverted. And that to me is the key thing I want to point out is if you can, like David Rosenberg points out, there's one estimate he wants to watch. If he had only one measure, it's the curve and it's still inverted, which means the market's getting started to price for this big reset. I'm not shaking my head because of anything you just said. I happen to be watching the uh, news as it rapidly rolls in and there's something I have to leave. I know we got to go. I have to leave you guys with because this is going to make your brains hurt. And Dave, you're going to lose your mind. I'm sorry. Three, three arrows capital founders, Zoo and Davies pitched to raise 25 million for new crypto exchange. <laughs> Okay, so, so wait, 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 it, it gets better. 
So this is in conjunction. I was reading this while Mike was talking. This is in conjunction with uh, the guys from CoinFlex. You guys might remember that CoinFlex was one of the exchanges that went under because they said that um, Roger Veer was the guy who had borrowed 40, 50, 70, whatever million from them. And there was that huge thing. So they were one of the ones that was insolvent before even a lot of this contagion. They're partnering up to try to raise $25 million for a new crypto exchange. And the purpose of this exchange, as I'm reading it right now, is to focus on trading claims of Voyager, Celsius, BlockFi, et cetera, customers. So basically buying and selling the claims speculatively for a certain amount of pennies on the dollar. And doesn't this just mean that we're not done yet here uh, I mean, we deserve a bear market if these guys get this. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, P.T. Barnum said it right, right? You know, there's a sucker born every minute. And the fact of the matter is, if you, know, you might think that there's a, a model there, the fact that those guys aren't in prison uh, or at a bare minimum, uh, you know, in the court to face the, face the music from their investors is amazing. But, you know, wh why is anyone to be surprised by this? I mean, I'm not you surprised, know, but it's just... It, it's it's just and it's also a, a drop in the bucket. It's a small thing, 25 million to this market. It's not going to move the market, but it is it is indicative of something that I've said many times. And, and you don't want me to go on this screen, which is the biggest problem I have in the crypto market. And in, in, in fact, in VC investing is the deification of people based on selection bias who got lucky. You, know, you have a lot of people that are considered brilliant despite having, you know, I'm not sure they have a spare brain cell to walk and chew gum at the same time, but they did happen to bet on the right thing. And, you know, we've all these stories about Sequoia and the, and, and, and this story, which just are mind numbing. I mean, look, we, we have a regime in this country that is dramatically outdated. It's called the accredited investor rule. And it stops mm -hmm. the average person from being able to invest uh, in things that are not fully disclosed under sec rules. And, and we could talk about how ridiculous the fact that Edgar even exists and prospectuses, written prospectuses that nobody reads, that are obsolete by the time they're printed, uh, you know, happen as opposed to using the Internet and what could go with technology all we want. But what is allowed to happen is concentration of capital that could be invested in a few hands and those hands by their own admission. And I couldn't believe the guy from Sequoia had the balls to actually admit this. He said, well. It's all about trust when you're talking about founders. And it's like if we if we either we trust the founder or we don't. And that was his explanation of why they didn't do any due diligence in FTX to even look at a bank account ever, not once, or look at a wallet or ask for an accountant to look at a wallet or a bank account. I mean, you can't justify it any other way. He literally said that. And the reason is in crypto, it's that way in spades. I mean, Zoo and Davies, among other people, were heroes. They were geniuses. Why? Because they got lucky. And, bull market. and, and <laughs> in a bull market, everybody's everybody's a friggin' genius. When you buy and it goes up by a factor of, you know, it goes up 10,000%. Sure, they were there. Doesn't mean they're smart. And I'm not saying they're dumb, but obviously they were dumb. They had no risk control. And that to me is, is the worst thing you could do as a trader. But why should we be surprised? They were deified and they still have hundreds of thousands of followers and so they're gonna raise this money they're, they're gonna so, raise this money and this thing is gonna launch and and I, it, 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 it is it is sad but when you have a marketplace where you deify people who got lucky bad things happen and you know it it happens in the equity markets as well but less right you know it's like think of how many people are deifying uh, Michael Burry because of the big short or deified Abby Joseph Cohen for being right or like me. I'm, I don't deify, him, but I have a lot of respect <laughs> for Tom Lee. You know, one or two calls is not enough data points to know whether a person is brilliant. Now, those people might very well be brilliant. I don't know them. And I've heard good things about them. So maybe they are. It's very clear that unlike them, that Davies and Zoo are not brilliant or at least are, <laughs> are, are degenerate gamblers. Uh, and degenerate gamblers is not the kind of person I would trust with my money. But the fact is they did get deified and there are enough people who said, well, they made money for me once. Maybe they can do it again. And that, uh, that's just scary. It's just yeah, scary. Yeah. I, but you're right. You were right. That did set me off. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I knew it. I knew it. I had to read it. And now we got to go. I'm sorry. Uh, they, thank you guys, Dave, Mike. Uh, maybe we'll uh, have more to talk about on, on that one in the future. Thank you once again for showing up uh, today as usual. 
on the holiday since I don't take them. I uh, appreciate you guys doing the same. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of the day. Everyone, I will be back tomorrow, of course, Tuesday, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Once again, see you guys there. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure. Thank Thanks. That's dope.